The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, here's Dr. G. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Leadership Matters. I'm Cheryl G., and I'll be your host for the hour. Today, we're going to be talking about managing performance and achieving results in the workplace. With us today to kind of share on this topic, we have Joseph Francis Johnson, Sr., who's an executive coach and turnaround manager that's based in Arizona. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Yes, and then also with us is Doug Walker, who's the author of AHA Performance. Welcome, Mr. Walker. Thank you very much. Yes. So before we jump into our topic, I'm going to ask each of you if you'd share a little bit about yourself and the organizations you have been or you are affiliated with and in your experience as it relates to managing performance for achieving results in the workplace. Uh, Joe, why don't we ask you to start? Managing performance and achieving results in the workplace. Well, your achievements is through others. So what you must really understand is when you get your strategic plan and you know what your goals and objectives are, mm-hmm. that you need people to come in and help do it. My experience over the years, I've worked, well, I'm a retired military person, so I was retired from the Navy with two tours in the Marine Corps, and I had success with the units that I managed with the Marine Corps, I had the best dispensary in the 3rd Marine Division while in Vietnam, and the same thing on board a Navy ship. My most recent, you might say, and surprising achievement was, <laughs> believe this or not, an audit, financial management audit with not one finding. And you know how hard that is, you, you <laughs> really. The auditors usually find something. But there was not one financial, nor one management, nor was there a letter, management letter issued. Well, congratulations. So that to me is a big achievement. It took a long time to get that. First time ever. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on that achievement. Anything else you'd like to share with us with regards to your background? Oh, that's about it in a nutshell. I've worked primarily since I've been out of the military managing public housing, that is HUD-funded housing. And that's where this uh, audit came from. Uh, was, wasn't a HUD audit, it was an independent audit that uh, was issued, mm-hmm. completed and issued. So managing public housing has been what I've been doing, and that's been somewhat of a difficult task because the clientele that you work with and the resources that you have are basically limited. I say that because funds come from HUD, and, you know, they keep cutting back, and then people who are living in public housing primarily, they don't have that much as far as money as a resource in paying rent and et cetera. So trying to keep that floating without having a lot of evictions, you know, it, it, it takes a little 
balancing there. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different. Uh, you can't get more money <laughs> because they don't have any more, and whatever that rent is, that's what they have, they have to pay. And HUD cut you as far as your finances are concerned, and you still have to meet your objectives with what you have. So you really have to walk a tight line with money. Mm-hmm. Great, and and I think that's very um, probably consistent with the population that we target on Leadership Matters as relates to our nonprofit and um, public leaders. I mean, very often they have a set budget, and that's what it is, and you have to manage the results with what you've been given or figure out how you can expand it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thanks, Joe. And, Doug, how about yourself? A little bit about yourself. Well, my my own background, I I, uh, I started out singing in a bar, um, but my early career actually uh, was in counseling. I have a master's degree in counseling. Well, let's go back to singing in the bar. How was your performance? <laughs> <laughs> Did it get you the results you were desiring, <laughs> or is that what led you into counseling? I'm teasing you, Doug. <laughs> no, that that actually was a, a a pretty good proving ground if you can manage the performance of drunk. People and you can handle sober people pretty well. All right, actually. So, um, uh, actually, I went into counseling, and that's another kind of performance management. You know, how do you get people to, in essence, change how they're living their life, how they're performing around living their own lives? Um, I was lucky enough early in my career to read a book called Reality Therapy by a psychiatrist named William Glasser. He wrote it uh, in the late '60s. He was one of the first psychiatrists to say it ain't your mother you know it uh, your your success in life has something to do with the choices you're making mm-hmm. and uh, i read the book and went to take a workshop from him and he he said uh, during one of the role play sessions he said you're doing what we're teaching and invited me onto his faculty at a pretty young age so i got to learn his ideas very thoroughly over the next 30 years and uh, 10 15 years ago i tweaked those ideas for managers uh, because uh, somewhere along the line I went from counseling and working in nonprofit and education organizations. I was a counselor at the LA Job Corps for a number of years uh, and then worked at the University of Southern California in in, um, student work for a number of years. Uh, But then when my wife and I moved to San Diego, it was because she'd been offered a sales management position with her company, and they offered me uh, a a position in sales. So instead of helping people with their their lives, I was helping customers with their um, their. This industry was the ad specialty industry, their coffee mugs and T-shirts and that kind of thing. Um, but I discovered a real love for the for-profit world, and I also discovered that an awful lot of people in the, the business world had been really good at some function. They were a good scientist or a good engineer or a good salesperson, and then someone made them a manager of people without giving them any training in how do you, uh, as Joe put it, how do you achieve results through others? Uh, and I realized I had learned a whole lot of things from Glasser that I could easily tweak for managers. So um, after about five years of observing, uh, I, they weren't all tragedies, but they were certainly some costly mistakes that untrained managers were making. Uh, I put the ideas together in a book called AHA Performance, Building and Managing a Self-Motivated Workforce that um, was published by Wiley Press came out in 2007. So um, I, I 
switched my career from uh, either the counseling side or the sales side and uh, went into consulting with companies around this exact issue. How do you manage others for uh, results? Okay, well, excellent. And and it's funny, uh, William Glasser was on the scene when I was a rehab counselor years back, and that was reality therapy was the model we used in state rehab. Yeah. Um, very behavioral focused, and yep. even in looking at the assessment of mental health with regards to what's the person grounded in those three R's, reality, responsibility, and right and wrong. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I recall that from, I don't know, that maybe that was the 80s, but um, definitely um, I loved his models. And, yeah, and I, I did too. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, I nice saw him recently a, actually. have a um, partner in Glasser and reality therapy on the line. Yep. 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 <laughs> you can definitely see how it fits in the workplace. Oh, it's it's just um, it's uncommon common sense. But he took it out of the academic arena and made it real accessible uh, by real people, the frontline counselors in in corrections and in substance abuse. And um, well, uh, bottom line, the the ideas I just thought um, were were extremely practical ideas for. Um, uh, for mastering that challenge of how do you get other people to um, uh, to produce the results that you'd like them to produce, and part of the model really is uh, is taking a look at what's your belief about human beings are they externally controllable like uh, like a, a mug of coffee would be it it doesn't move unless an external force moves it, uh, or are human beings uh, in fact all living things internally motivated and internally controlled. And once you switch to that understanding, then you realize you got to approach a human being differently than you approach a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. So, okay. um, but, so, but people are certainly influenceable uh, if they're treated well. Okay. So, Joe, I know that right before we started the show, you indicated you had just had a cup of coffee. So what do you think about what Doug just said? <laughs> I agree with what he's, what he's saying as far as trying to get people to do the jobs they need to do, but you know, looking maybe the word shouldn't be but it should be however. That you know what I was told that but is just a I say however is just a butt dressed up in a tuxedo. That's what we want to be. At any rate, don't you be talking here. We're trying to get people to do what they need to do, particularly when you're talking about performance management here, as I believe we are doing. We look at the elements of it and people. Is a primary element of mm-hmm. it. You know, we need to know one element would be planning. We need to go and plan, but it'd be nice if we'd have the employees help in that planning process, mm-hmm. which would include your strategic planning, your board, etc., be involved with that. But then organizing the work that is to be done and having the employees do that work is important. But they need to know what they are to do because a lot of times, times you fail, you assume that people know what. They should be doing. So I'd say then we need training to go in and help individuals do that performance, and we need to do evaluation of the employees, particularly if you're going into a new situation, a new entity or whatever, are getting new employees in. Once you determine that level of knowledge, 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 skill, and ability to do whatever needs to be done, then you can move forward with that. And then leading, you must be able then to lead them. And to me, that's motivating them, makes them want to do it, give them a lot of feedback. And when you do that, they feel good about themselves. Almost going back, looking at Maslow's hierarchy of need theory. When they come in, 
they feel kind of lost. They have the needs, the basic needs that they have. Once they learn that they're doing what they should do, they feel good about themselves. Security is met. And then they open up a little and have the social needs, and they become somebody, the ego needs finally. And then they become self-actualized. And when they do that, you got it made because the person knows what they're doing. You know what they're doing. They feel good about it. And you may then just go into controlling, making sure monitoring what they're doing is what is to be done and that it is effective. And when you go through those functions, it appears to me that your employees are doing what you want them to do, and then you'll meet your goals and objectives. Fabulous. Love that. So pretty much outlining some good elements of a performance management system with regards to involving others in the planning, organizing so people know what to do, ensuring that the training, they have the skill set to do what they are required to do, particularly if there are some new functions, putting in place some type of evaluation component to make sure, I guess, that you have the success of the individuals as well as the results you're trying to achieve with each task and then making sure you have leadership there. I think you said inspiring so that um, you're providing the performance feedback and having that performance continue to go so the person goes from perhaps initially feeling a little lost and not clear on what to do to being real clear on what it is they need to do so that they can self-actualize. So wonderful summation of um, elements of a performance management system. Doug, anything you'd like to add in response to what Joe just brought to the table? No, as a friend of mine used to say to me, I think we're in violent agreement Mm -hmm. uh, on those uh, those components. I created a a template uh, that I called the essentials for success, and I think Joe covered every one of the ones that I think are essential as well. Um, if if you're uh, you know just starting out not as successful as you want to be, the first question I ask though is uh, in terms of the environment that we're working in, and that would be either the marketplace or the workplace, um, the environment within which we've got to achieve our results. Um, what what are the opportunities in that environment as well as the obstacles in that environment? So one column in the essentials thing uh, of anybody's success is the environment. Is success possible? In other words, if there's no fish in the pond, no one can be successful. So uh, the first question is, uh, is success possible given the, the environment that uh, my people and I are working in? But upstream from that, um, kind of exactly what Joe said, I call the the next phase upstream from the environment the process phase. In other words, what are we doing in the environment? And part of um, uh, managing people for successful results uh, is being sure that they've got an effective process in producing those results. And I've been um, discovering a lot of tremendous value in uh, taking a look at our process, the one that we had maybe have before. A comma right there, Doug, and we're okay. going to transition to a commercial break. All right. When we come back, I'll ask you to pick up right on that thought. All right. And to our listeners, we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters. All right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or email drg at dr.g at innovisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. Thank you for staying with us. We're back with more on Leadership Matters. Today we're focusing on managing performance and achieving results in the workplace. With us today we have Joseph Francis Johnson, Sr., an executive coach and turnaround manager that's based in Arizona. Thanks for staying with us, Joe. Thank you. And with us also is Doug Walker, the author of AHA Performance, based here in San Diego, California. Thanks for being with us, Doug. My pleasure. Yes, and before we went to break, Doug, you were in the middle of a thought, so I'm just having you jump right back in. Okay, and and what I'll do right now is just go through what I think are these five essential columns, uh, and we can flesh them out a little bit. I think Joe did a great job of fleshing out essentially the same um, the, the same essentials. But what, whatever level of success you are, if you're trying to improve it, the first question to ask is: Is it possible in my environment, my workplace, or my marketplace? Um, if, if it's not possible, then you're done anyway. If it is possible, then the next question is: What are the the processes that my team and I are engaged in in the environment, are they the best processes for achieving the results we can come up with? What if we took a look at it for increased quality? What if we took a look at our process for increased efficiency? Those two things. Upstream from your process are the skills, the competencies, the resources. Again, uh, Joe shared these earlier. Um, do my people have the skills to work the process in the environment? If not, um, if, if well, if they don't have the right process, it's a process deficiency, and we redesign our process. If they don't have the right skills and competencies, then it's a skill deficiency, and we, we um, do development or training to improve and increase their skills. But upstream from that, something Joe certainly caught, but an awful lot of organizations and managers miss. 
because uh, a lot of people know about skill development. A lot of people know about process redesign. But upstream from that, the piece they miss is the motivation and morale piece, uh, what Joe referred to, I think, as the leadership piece. Um, if, if people are demotivated, then they may have the skills and they may know the process, but they'll walk through the process so listlessly they don't produce the results. So getting people to want to use their skills in the most effective process to achieve the results is one of the key pieces that um, certainly that my work has been focused on uh, and that uh, obviously Joe's uh, focused on as well. I also think that a piece of, uh, of motivation toward uh, producing a particular result is a three-piece motivation puzzle I call the CAP puzzle, C-A-P. Uh, are the results that we're, that we're trying to achieve here um, clear? Are, do the people believe they're attainable in the marketplace with our skills, with our process? Uh, and is there a payoff that is greater to or, uh, e- I'm sorry, equal to or greater than the cost, the trouble uh, for producing it? A payoff for the people involved, for the organization, uh, for uh, other stakeholders. Um, but in order to really lock in to pursuing some successful-looking result, uh, that result has to be clear in people's mind. They have to believe it's attainable, and there has to be some payoff. And I'm not talking about uh, bonuses or money payoff. I'm talking about internal satisfiers. Really, basically, the needs that Joe articulated, I have a slightly different version of them, but I agree uh, completely that's what the payoff is. It's about need satisfaction. Great. Fabulous. So I got four. Did you say four or five? Well, there's there's the the results you want. There's the um, there's the marketplace, the process, the skills slash resources, the motivation, morale, and then up from that, the clear attainable payoff. Ah, okay. So the cap was actually separate. I, I, I highlight it because um, if you can't, if people aren't doing what you want them to do, if they're not pursuing it, my belief is one of those three things has not been locked in in their thinking. They're either not clear what you want, they don't believe it's possible, or they see more cost than payoff to doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent, love it. Um, any uh, thoughts, Joe? Well, in I can, to what you just heard. Well, yeah, I concur with what's taking place, and I know that when people are assigned tasks and they know what the goals and objectives are, that's why I believe their inclusion when you do a strategic plan because that's what you're going to work from. Yep. But you need alternatives. Sometimes you don't have all of the resources that you believe that you're going to have, so you should make provisions to have some type of alternative to work with. And the individuals who are, who are working, listen to them. If they feel that there might be some barrier there, and they feel that maybe some training would help them, let them go to that training and come back. And then as they do work and they make progress and you have meetings with the board, I'm a big believer in letting the person who's done the research on a particular project or problem, whatever it might be, come up with a resolution that I agree to, that that person make that presentation and they get the accolades from the board, a public, whoever is uh, involved there. And that's a good motivation with attention to someone really motivates them, you know, because mm-hmm. I know we're big on if you do something wrong, we're going to sit down and chastise you. But on the same hand, we should turn right around and give them the acknowledgement of their achievement 
Mm-hmm. As long as we know who we are, we don't really worry about, at least I don't worry about uh, how the other person, you know, stands mm-hmm. out. You want people who will stand out. And right. with that thought mm-hmm. in mind, I agree with what he's saying. They become mm-hmm. self-actualized. They've done a good job. You've acknowledged it, so they move on. And if you have any problems, maybe they may see those to help you get over it, you know, a way out. Mm-hmm. So as long as they are totally involved and recognized for what their achievements are, I think you'll keep them motivated. Okay. You know, I want to just peel back just a little bit. And, uh, Joe, you mentioned the word, and I know we've kind of um, skirted um, on it already, but just want to ask very um, bluntly, one might say, about barriers to effective performance. And, uh, Doug, I'll ask you, and then, Joe, I'll ask you just to share your thoughts as well with regards to what you've um, noticed, um, what your experience has been as relates to barriers to effective performance in the workplace. What are some common ones that um, you put out there for consideration? Barriers to effective performance? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've kind of hit it. I don't want to beat it up. Mm-hmm. It's appropriate training. If the person doesn't have the appropriate training, then mm-hmm. that certainly is going to be a barrier. That they are not going to be able to do that job no matter what takes place. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, the resources that you thought that you may have and you don't have, until you can replace that or obtain that, you have a barrier to, to the performance that you're trying to do. If you're going to have others involved and not, they are not available, then again, you have a barrier. Mm-hmm. Motivation itself could be a barrier because if people aren't motivated, as Doug mentioned, they, they may not perform. You know, and mm-hmm. if they don't perform, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So, there, are, those are a few barriers, and mm-hmm. I think resources would probably, in my opinion, resources to complete whatever the task might be, lack of those resources, may be the biggest barrier other than lack of training. Because if people are motivated and they are doing what they need to do, then they'll help you with that barrier, but if that resource is not available, there's nothing they can do other than try to find an alternative. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about yourself, Doug? Anything you'd add as far as common barriers? Well, my first answer would be exactly the same as Joe's, that the barriers are failure to cover one of those those four or five essentials. In other words, if people aren't clear, they don't believe it's a it's possible, or the need for us payoff is really more need satisfaction than need frustration. Um, so if, if people are more frustrated in trying to get there than they are satisfied in trying to get there, uh, those certainly would be barriers, the, the motivation, the morale uh, piece, the, uh, the lack of skills or resources piece, uh, or a, a faulty process, a cumbersome or, or a process that, that just doesn't work at producing uh, desired results, or uh, having a, an environment where success is impossible. So those would be barriers. The other thing that um, that I've been focusing on, in addition uh, to those essentials for success, is simply the the, um, the name performance management, uh, which has been frustrating for me for a number of years, both as a manager uh, and as an employee. I always hated that annual um, moment, you know, of, oh, God, here we go again, another performance review. Uh, And it never seemed to uh, inspire anybody, never seemed to change results much or anything. Uh, And then when I started my own consulting firm, I realized as a small business that – in fact, there was a, a small firm where there was a delivery partner and a sales partner, 
and the sales partner produced no sales for three years, but he was always talking about his activity, which is performance. Um, and if the focus is on performance, then you can be distracted by activity and uh, fail to look at results that you need to stay alive as an organization. So uh, I'm, I'm hearing the music, I'm guessing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting ready to queue for commercial break. You knew we were going to call for that, huh? Yeah, I'll, I'll Thank come you. back we're after the commercial for the rest of the story. We will be uh, right back with All more right. on Leadership Matters. Thanks, Doug. Sure. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Get ready for an exciting and eye-opening hour every week on Globe Talk with Avisant. Join your host, Kevin Parikh, for an inside look at the world economy with a special focus on technology and its impact on humankind. We will invite the top industry experts to our forum and answer your questions, too. Globe Talk with Avisant airs live every Friday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or email drg at dr.g at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. We're back with more on Leadership Matters. Today, we're focusing on managing performance for achieving results in the workplace. And with us today is Joseph Francis Johnson, Sr., an executive coach and general manager that's based in Arizona. Thanks for staying with us, Joe. Thank you again. Yes, and Doug Walker, author of AHA Performance, based here in San Diego. Thanks for staying with us, Doug. Again, my pleasure. Yes, and I know right before we went to break, you heard the music and you were pausing <laughs> in the middle of your sentence. I'm going to have you just go on and continue. 
Well, uh, again, uh, I, my frustration with performance management was the, sort of the chill that put on everybody and the ineffectiveness of the of the exercise in, in uh, most companies, not all companies, but but in most. Uh, and I was trying to, to to sort of restructure it in a way that would be effective for both the manager and the managed. Uh, and I realized in terms of the organization that managers do need to focus on results because if they're just focused on activity, there could be all kinds of activity, no results, uh, you're out of business. But but it had a sort of coldness to it, and it could still be done in a chilling way. Uh, in fact, I was doing some work with um, the state of North Dakota uh, several months ago, and I was kind of introducing the model at that level to to a bunch of state workers, and they got you know real nervous about being held accountable for results. Um, and I realized that uh, if you only have results of this piece, again, it's like an airplane with one wing, you're going to spin out of control pretty quickly, that the balancing piece is the relationship. So um, I'm now uh, encouraging people to think of this exercise as relationship slash results management. Uh, which does two things. It focuses the the manager on their job is to create and maintain a good enough relationship with their people that they can inspire them, lead them, um, encourage them to do the kind of work that needs to be done and support them uh, in ways that people experience as need-fulfilling or self-actualized uh, ways. The other thing that it does is it reminds the employee that the manager's role isn't simply to manage for results, but the manager's got a job to preserve this relationship with me as well. Um, Gary uh, Gary Ridge at uh, WD-40 has got a system in place that works this way. He has a book called uh, Helping Your People Win at Work, and he believes so strongly that it's if your people aren't successful, it's the manager's failure, not the people's failure. And he's literally fired managers when employees haven't been successful. He doesn't do that often, doesn't have to. Um, but he certainly makes it part of the manager's job to have the kind of relationship and the kind of focus on the employee's success uh, that creates that relationship. He calls it partnering for performance. I call it relationship and results. There's another model where they say the whole job is to meet both personal needs as well as practical needs. I think we're all sort of saying the same thing, that to do this job well requires a twin focus, requires both wings, the relationship and the results piece. Okay, yeah, and yeah, and I think that that's um pretty consistent with um, probably one might say um, performance models that I've experienced uh, through the years. I can remember, um, well, not only presently, but even years back uh, when the wonderful uh, management by objectives came about and a Mm. lot of the states were using that, the activities that we were evaluated on were certainly performance activities, but all of them were gauge toward achieving a certain result. So like in the rehab industry, you always had a number of people that you needed to get, one might say, successfully returned to gainful employment. Mm-hmm. But there were activities that you did. and those. So you can do a lot of different activities, but there were certain activities that you did to achieve the result of a certain number of persons returning to work. And so I think that it is um, 
having clarity around, it's not activity for the sake of activity, but it is indeed activity for the sake of achieving results. Yep. Um, and, and certainly relationship is part of that process, kind of also brings in that, um, that thinking from our conversation earlier, the whole model around situational leadership and the focus being on skill or will or mm-hmm. on competence or confidence and uh, motivation one might uh, say, are definitely kind of being woven into our conversation. Joe, let me have you jump back in here and kind of share your thoughts. Well, I thought that the comment that Doug made, and I think it's kind of self-fulfilling in a way, when he indicated or stated that there is a CEO who will terminate the manager if the employees aren't performing, that is kind of fitting because... That can and should happen. When you look at what's taking place in that environment, you see when you have a manager who is not taking a look at what should be done, workers not doing what they should do, and it's not that they're not motivated, I think the manager should make sure that the job descriptions are very clear, that the people know what they are to be doing, go over it with them, and if they have any problems with it, and not one of these little job descriptions that says others as directed, others <laughs> chores as directed. None yeah. of that, but be specific of what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. It tells them what they should be doing. They're motivated, and more than likely they'll do it. Mm-hmm. And when we have people who are coming through, and they may not be a good fit for a particular job, mm-hmm. a good manager should recognize that mm-hmm. and move that person around or out, whichever may be necessary, because the company will suffer mm-hmm. if someone's not a good fit for a particular position. And I think there is a position in every organization for every employee. I really believe that if they don't perform, it's because they don't want to when you find a fit for them. Mm-hmm. They don't accept it. So you know the answer to that one. Mm-hmm. And then the people, when they fail to meet your expectations, it may be, again, what, we, what I said initially is that they aren't quite clear yet on what they should be doing, particularly if this is a new task that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So, again, review that. And you should continue to provide education and training for them. And as far as evaluation is concerned, I think we heard a little on that as well. I know most of the time you'll have like a three-month evaluation on a new employee, and after that it's annually. But if you were to do it quarterly, everyone would feel better than you waiting a year later to decide six months ago you didn't do something, you know. Mm-hmm. So make sure that the person is getting a performance, good or bad, mm-hmm. quarterly at least. And in that way, they know exactly where they are. And if you have won their faith that they know that you know what you're doing and that that is important, then the probability is they will then start doing a better job of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as I um, hear this conversation, I hear this conversation from a space of um, maybe a lot of the different spaces that our leaders may sit in, and when it comes to managing, it may be managing in in more of a traditional office or field setting, or it may be a teacher managing a classroom Mm, and so on and so forth. And so we think about managing for performance, I think a key element that I'm hearing is you only succeed as the manager when your people succeed. That's correct. And, um, you know, so often I have heard the separation of, you know, well, they didn't do, they weren't cutting the mustard. And so, you know, so 
after I let them go, or even teachers who will say that the students aren't performing, and, you know, and maybe even in staff meetings hearing colleagues brag about how tough they are because they have so many students who are um, getting D's and F's and, um, and trying to, and, and for themselves, it's like almost bragging because they have great academic rigor. And my thought to that is, no, you're not succeeding. If your people aren't learning, then you're not succeeding. And exactly so right. I think just like in the workplace, uh, when we're talking about performance for results, be it that counselor who's supporting someone in achieving an outcome in their life or that teacher who's supporting someone with regards to improving their academic performance, we're always assessing what does a person need from me as it relates to direction, what does a person need from me as it relates to support. And if I'm not giving the direction necessary to develop their competence or I'm not providing the support necessary to improve their confidence or their will, then I as a manager, I as a teacher, I as a counselor, and so on and so forth, not being successful. Agreed. I agree 100%. Mm -hmm. There was a book on education years ago uh, that said if if students aren't learning, the teachers aren't teaching. It's the teacher's job. It's Mm -hmm. it's like you put it, it's it's the management part of their job Mm -hmm. to manage the classroom in ways the students want to learn. But now we're back to that motivation piece. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and and also the process piece and the teacher skill piece and mm-hmm. those same essentials apply. Right, exactly. Yeah, I've experienced what Dr. Jesus just just mentioned about teachers because part of my experience has been teaching at the various levels: community college, high school, and for the University of Phoenix. University of Phoenix, I really you know enjoyed that. But at the community college level, there were teachers, instructors or whatever, who would take a class, 35 to 40 people, and they knew within two classes, within two weeks or whatever, they'd be down to 25 to 30 because they would give exams on brief information that they've given, and it would discourage students, and they would drop. Mm -hmm. Now, why would you do that? You need to try to motivate them to be there. Right. Put a limit on it without, you know, causing them to fail. Right. You know, and and, and you know, and probably this takes us into a whole other field. But when I think about the systems beyond, particularly at the college level, uh, where achievement, one of the accreditation components, really looks at academic rigor, and that gets translated sometimes to instructors as not having grade point average inflation. Then there becomes these tactics really to set up people for failure or to set them up for being less than um, superior in their performance because I want to look like I'm a great teacher, which is like cuckoo thinking in my mind. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like mind-boggling. Like, all right, so we almost have to look at the system um, to say, you know, what are we motivating, what's the payoff for yeah. people to actually have individuals um, performing in that academic arena. So, you know, I'm going to pause and probably transition on you and have each of you think about maybe a proudest proud, um, maybe something that you've accomplished in your career as relates to getting others to perform or maybe an organization you were working with and you were able to, you know, help them achieve results. Uh, proudest proud moment for either of you. Who'd like to start? Uh, you go first. 
Well, there are a couple of things that occurred to me. One uh, where I was managing um, a team and the other where I was consulting with a team. Um, in the the uh, management piece was a challenge around a new project that was coming in. Okay, I'm going to have you pause, Doug. I keep, we keep getting the break right on you, huh? <laughs> so I'm going to have you pause. When we come back from break, I'm going to have you actually share that as well as some final thoughts with us. All right. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. When you are trying to establish your financial plan, there are all sorts of variables that you'll need to take into consideration, from the ever-changing economy and markets to investment risk and your own financial needs. How do you manage all of it to find a plan that will work for you? Tune in to The Insightful Investor with Bob Pugh. We'll help you iron it all out to help you stick to a financial plan with the knowledge that you need. The Insightful Investor is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or email drg at dr.g at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. Thank you for staying with us. We're back for more on Leadership Matters and hear final thoughts from our guests on managing performance and achieving results in the workplace. Before we went to break, Doug, I know you were about to share with regards to um, your proudest prouds, and then I'm going to ask you to also just share some final tips. Yeah, and actually, uh, what occurred to me, I've got four great kids that I've managed, and, and they're doing just fine, too. They're really my proudest prouds. Um, but back to the one I was sharing, I was the manager um, of uh, a managing consultant of an outplacement firm here in 
San Diego for a number of years, and the the outplacement firm sales cycle is the salespeople sell an organization on using the firm to provide services for all the people they're laying off. But it's a two-pronged piece. The people have to agree to use the services before the outplacement firms actually can bill. They bill for each person who uses them. So uh, the outplacement firms are going for a high level of engagement. Well, there was a huge company up in North County that was laying off uh, well over 100 people. And uh, so we, like uh, like Joe was saying earlier, it's very important when you're talking about the process essential in particular to involve your people who are working the process in figuring out the best process. So um, we sort of, to start with the motivation morale piece and the clarity piece, we took a hard look at the numbers and what success would look like. Would it be 90%, 95%, 97%? What, what would success in this project look like? Did we think it was attainable if we created the right process? And what would the payoff be for breaking the organizational's record in terms of percentage of engagement achieved with any given project? So the clear attainable payoff piece we covered, um, my my people uh, certainly were highly skilled, so I didn't have to worry about training or competency, and we had the resources we needed. So then it went to the process. How are we going to do this? How are we going to set it up to be on-site when people are notified that their positions have been eliminated, and what's the process for getting them engaged in uh, getting their resumes done, getting their um, uh, their interview practice done, all of those kinds of pieces of their process, but how would we engage them? And the team put together a new process. They actually got creative uh, to do things, in this case, differently than we normally did it. And we achieved a, a record-setting 98% uh, engagement from that project and uh, well over a million dollars in revenue that month. So it, it just broke all kinds of... Um, uh, of records, but it was managing the performance of my team through the essentials for a success, and certainly we had a good relationship that I think was the key to the whole thing. Great, great, Joe. I'm going to toss the ball to you and ask you for your proudest proud and final thoughts. Well, it, it hit me when I mentioned the University of Phoenix, and I said I enjoyed that. As you well know, University of Phoenix has like a group study. The students there. And my attitude was always, when I had a new class, that they were just as smart as I am because they were people who were in the workplace. And what they were there to do, believe it or not, in my opinion, was to learn the terminology. You know, what is planning? Well, they always planned. If they were supervisors, they supervised. But they just had to, to label it. Well, the teaching position that I took, what I, what I did was, we have groups, or they had groups. And... Uh, I would take the chapters and divide the chapters among the groups. And one individual, individuals rather, from that group would take a part of that chapter and present it to the class. And that was true for all, class, for all uh, students in that class. And they received good grades because they were thorough in what they were teaching. It was less for them to write but to learn when they were teaching because they knew I would do the exam from the book and not necessarily from what they did. The second thing, I guess... <laughs> Being effective, I was then asked to be a mentor, and I mentored PhDs from LSU that were moonlighting there. And that was really, you know, a proud moment, you might say. Mm -hmm. I'm not an LSU graduate, nor am I a PhD. I'm just a master's in business administration. <laughs> but 
I think I know business administration as well as, you know, the academics in the classroom. So the success I had with that group was really, you know, mm-hmm. a proud moment to me. And mm-hmm. uh, the community college was the same. I also taught various courses when I was in the military, and uh, medical administration was a, ni- a nine-month course. In a nine-month course, after three years of teaching, two classes basically back-to-back, like um, over a three-year period, nine months, I had only one person to fail an accounting test. Now, I didn't test. I test routinely when I was teaching, but the final test was issued by the University of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and someone else delivered the test, came and gave the test, collected the test, and mailed it to the university for them to grade. And mm-hmm. I only had one person in a three-year period that failed. And he Fabulous. Did yeah, and so mm-hmm. I believe my effectiveness as a instructor, you might say, was just as good as my effectiveness in turning around troubled housing authorities, mm-hmm. agencies, or what have you. Mm-hmm. So those are proud moments that I can remember. Excellent. I love it. Um, any additional final thoughts from either of you, Joe or um, Doug? No, my, my only encouragement would be to get people to drop the phrase performance management and start thinking of the job as uh, relationship results management. Um, and then let them kind of figure out what they think the pieces are. Certainly, um, we've provided what we think as those pieces are. But just changing that title changes a whole um, mindset and mood and energy level. Uh, it does all kinds of positive things, if, uh, I think, for both the manager and the managed. So that would be my my takeaway, just uh, think in terms of relationship results management, not performance management. Okay. Thank you, Doug. How about yourself, Joe? Well, Final I look at, at management skills. I think managers should have management skills, specifically technical skills, so they can use the tools and the technique, specialized knowledge to carry out whatever methods they have. I also believe that they should have human skills to be able to interact with people, mm-hmm. know what they should do to help motivate them, of course, conceptual skills. Without conceptual skills, that person can't see the whole of the organization and to solve the problems that may exist within that organization. Fabulous. Well, thank you both for being with us, and thank you for sharing your wisdom and your experience. And thank you so much to our listening audience. Um, we're going to ask you to join us next week on Wednesday at 2 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time for more on how you can make your leadership matter. Happy holidays and have a great week. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. G is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter.